You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. This is Mattingly Watson from Fact of Life. Today, we have Michael Barone joining us. Amongst six other books, Michael Barone is the author of Mental Maps of the Founders, How Geographic Imagination Guided America's Revolutionary Leaders, which comes out November 28th. He was the founding co-author of the Almanac of American Politics and continued as a co-author for many years. He is currently a senior political analyst at the Washington Examiner and resident fellow emeritus at the American Enterprise Institute. Mr. Barone, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thank you for having me with you at uh, Hillsdale in my native state of Michigan. Now, without giving too much away, how does Mental Maps of the Founders take a new approach and perspective to understanding the founding that maybe our listeners haven't experienced before? Well, I think um, we all have mental maps in their heads, uh, in our heads. Uh, some of them don't get very well developed today because we rely on the GPS and things to get us places, and uh, we don't really know very much about the map of the surrounding area. Uh, some of us have well-developed uh, senses of directions and maps, uh, just as many animals do, you know, the uh, birds returning to the same nesting place from thousands of miles away and so forth. There is a geographic sense that uh, is stronger or weaker in us. And the founders were dealing with a British colonies uh, in a young republic in North America, uh, the full map of which they did not know. There was a lot of terra incognita. Um, they had a limited knowledge of maps, but they did not have um, a vast knowledge of maps. So that, uh, you know, when, when George Washington went out to conduct, to survey land belonging to Lord Fairfax, a Fairfax grant, which went from uh, between the Rappahannock and Potomac rivers and from the Chesapeake Bay to the source of the rivers in the mountains, in the Appalachian Mountains, um, an area that's got three and a half million people live on it today and such monuments as the Pentagon. Uh, Washington went out there. He had a map that was con uh, drawn in 1751 by two surveyors named Joshua Fry and Peter Jefferson. Peter Jefferson was the father of Thomas Jefferson. But it wasn't very accurate. Once he got past the Blue Ridge, uh, uh, or even approaching it, uh, heading west in Virginia in those years. So uh, Washington, in effect, really surveys and uh, announces to his fellow colonists, announces to the British authorities in opposition to the French that were trying to settle the interior of what is now the Midwest, uh, what what the land is really like. He has to develop this thing. And he pursued this idea of America growing from north by northwest, from his own Mount Vernon up the Potomac into the Ohio River Valley and that fertile area in which, thanks to the founders, slavery was prohibited by the Ordinance of 1787. So, uh, this was one of the formations of the founders. Other founders had a different orientation. Uh, Franklin, coming before Washington, was one of the first founders 
to really establish a business that uh, went up and down the colonies. He sold his poor Richard's Almanac in the 1730s and 1740s in different colonies. He set up in cooperation with young printers printing presses in different colonies, imitating the printing press that he had developed as a printer in Philadelphia, the largest city in the colonies. And he got a, a share of the profits of all these uh, presses up and down the coast and even going down into the West Indies. So um, the geographic imagination of the country was important in determining the meets and bounds of what would be the United States and of uh, providing an imaginative uh, floor plan of how the country would grow in the future. Um, we, you know, we've had many wonderful and brilliant books about the founders in recent years, and I drew on those. Uh, um, but I'm the first one, apparently, according to the great historian of the colonial period and early republic, Gordon Wood, um, that has looked at it from the point of view of the mental maps, the geographic orientation. So I thought this might be interesting for readers, as it was interesting for me to learn. Now, um, in your chapter on Washington, you mentioned a diary he kept called A Journey of My Journey Over the Mountains. When you were, you know, researching and writing this, how did you come across that? And then what does that tell us about Washington? Um, just kind of tell us a little well, bit more about that. Well, Washington, uh, Washington was a young man with uncertain prospects. He was the son of a second marriage. His father died when he was 11. He left him some property, some land around Fredericksburg, Virginia, and three slaves. Uh, but his mother occupied the property and kept that uh, away from him, really, for the rest of his life. Um, he, uh, he, 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 he had a connection with Lord Fairfax. Lord Fairfax was the only member of the British House of Lords who lived in North America, chose to live in North America, um, exploiting this vast tract of land which he had litigated for in the English courts for 11 years to make sure that he had title to it. And uh, as he comes out there in uh, 1749, 48, 49, there's this 16-, 17-year-old young man uh, approaching his full six foot three height, who's a great horseman, uh, who is uh, whose brother is married to Lord Fax for uh, Lawrence Washington from the first marriage, is married to Lord Fairfax's niece, um, and they occupy a property on the Fairfax lands uh, along the Potomac River, which Lawrence Washington names after the admiral whom he served in the Royal Navy in the Battle of Cartagena. Uh, Edward Vernon. Uh, that's how the, the house became Mount Vernon. Um, and uh, Lord Fairfax hires his grandnephew, and uh, has who hasn't done much survey work. And uh, this young man, George Washington, who seems to really know how to survey things, very meticulous individual, uh, and who is an excellent horse rider. Everybody comments on this that he was a great horseman. Um, and to go out uh, beyond the Blue Ridge, beyond the Shenandoah Valley, uh, to survey these lands. Uh, and that's where Washington writes his little account of this. Um, and a couple of years later, when the Virginia House of Burgesses, the colonial legislature, decides to follow the command of King George II 
and to keep the French colonists out of the Ohio River Valley, whose exact limits they didn't know, but they had an idea of where it was. And remember, the French in this period before 1760s had the colony of uh, of Quebec and the, the Great Lakes uh, they exploited with, um, they sent in Jesuit priests and fur traders, and then down the Mississippi River all the way to New Orleans. They founded Detroit in 1701, New Orleans in 1718. It was a thinly populated but long-stretching empire, and they were trying to get it closer to the Appalachian Mountains. The Virginians wanted to expand in that direction. King George didn't want the French to make gains there. So they sent out a young man who had experience in that part of the world, who had been over those mountain chains uh, and knew the territory, uh, named George Washington, to go tell the French soldiers uh, that they shouldn't be there anymore. Uh, he went with the, he rode within uh, 15 miles of Lake Erie in western, what is now western Pennsylvania, Um and uh, that's the experience, followed by a uh, year of fighting the French and of uh, assisting the Braddock expedition of fighting the French, that gave George Washington the military experience that prompted the Second Continental Congress in 1775 to unanimously name him as the commander of the Continental Army. Uh, very few of the colonists had that kind of military experience and experience of large parts of the geography of North America. So that gives us George Washington as the founder of the country, and it gives us a man who is dedicated to the proposition that he's not going to use his military position to seize, seize civilian power, that he is going to be a Cincinnatus, the model of the Roman Republic uh, general who retired to his farm after he did so. Um, and how much different? Would the history of the American Revolution and of the uh, infant republic have been if we had had a general more like uh, Cromwell or Napoleon who seized power and held power uh, for as long as he could uh, until death or until military de defeat? Um, we had a very different kind of republic with George Washington, uh, and it arises really a set of events that's based on the geographic orientation he built up doing surveying work west uh, in the western part of uh, what is now the state of Virginia, state of Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, he, uh, that, was, uh, that was sort of happenstance um, and so forth. But it was, it was an important thing. Now, I guess I should add that uh, Lawrence Washington died young of tuberculosis, and George Washington ultimately inherited the property. But he, on the Potomac, he kept that he remodeled the house, but he kept the name Mount Vernon. Mr. Brown, thank you so much for the insight you have provided us with so far. The interview here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM is going wonderful, and I'm so excited to get to the rest of these questions. Now, in your book, you know, you survey all the different founders, and I specifically want to talk for a minute about your choice to include Albert Gallatin, who was, you know, integral to the founding story, but when compared to these other names, are a little bit lesser known. So I think maybe some of our listeners haven't heard that name, and if so, how does he play into this whole um, puzzle? Well, if you go uh, 
if you go out to the west, southwestern part of the state of Montana and follow the Missouri River uh, up the river, as the Lewis and Clark expedition did in 1804, 1805, uh, you come to a point where the river seems to split. Three different streams seem to come in together to form the Missouri River. And the Lewis and Clark, uh, operating during the administration of Thomas Jefferson, named the rivers uh, after the president the Secretary of State, and the Secretary of the Treasury. The Jefferson River, after Thomas Jefferson. The Madison River, after James Madison, the Secretary of State. The Gallatin River, after Albert Gallatin, the Secretary of the Treasury, who held that position for 14 years during the Jefferson and Madison administrations. And um, Albert Gallatin was never president. He wasn't eligible to be president. He was born in Geneva, Switzerland, from a prominent family, uh, his parents died when he was young. He left at age 19 and decided, and with an, uh, an inheritance uh, in tow, and decided that he wanted to settle in North America. He eventually, after a couple of years, bought property on the Monongahela River. Um, and I included him in part because he had a geographic imagination um, that proved really prescient. Um, during the Jefferson administration, uh, Jefferson believed in rather minimal government. We shouldn't be spending much money. The state governments might be spending money, and um, we're going to you know, do this. Uh, but the, the money started pouring in from America's successful carrying trade between the wars of Napoleonic France and uh, Royal and Mercantile Britain. Uh, and Jefferson said, well, maybe we should build some canals and do some other public works, internal improvements. Uh, and um, the Senate ordered Gallatin to prepare a report. And Gallatin prepares this report, which is not immediately acted on, that provides for certain roads, the National Road, which follows much the route that George Washington followed parallel to the Potomac River going northwest from what is now Washington, D.C., to the forks of the Ohio, that is to say Pittsburgh. Um, it, it envisages a series of canals and roads going over the Appalachian chains in a variety of ways. It calls for an internal waterway along the Atlantic that ultimately becomes the uh, intercoastal waterway in the 20th century. And it calls for a road from uh, Maine to Georgia going up and down the Atlantic, which um, ultimately in the 20th century becomes U.S. 1 and Interstate 95. Um, Gallatin is really laying out uh, much of what became the transportation growth and therefore the economic growth and the population growth of the United States. He is a founder who's envisaging um, just by exercising his mental imagination on the basis of uh, somewhat increased knowledge of the interior of the United States. It, it was by no means uh, fully developed when he was doing this plan in 1807. And he, um, he, he sets this up and, uh, and, 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 uh, and sets it out. So I included Gallatin. Uh, he was a person who always wanted to head west, um, even though his house on the Monongahela, which you can visit, it's called Friendship Hill, just north of the West Virginia boundary line, um, exists. Uh, and uh, 
it, it, I thought that it was an interesting thing. And as a young man, he had had an encounter with George Washington during the period between the Battle of Yorktown and the British defeat in the Revolutionary War and between, before the Constitutional Convention and the election of the first president. Um, Washington is uh, going out to uh, superintend uh, the large acreages of land that he had built up in the West in his North by Northwest quest for America. Uh, Washington is noticing, by the way, as he's going to Pittsburgh, he writes, these people have an excellent quality of coal here. He's envisioning the Industrial Revolution, knowing something about the use of coal in industry in England, and uh, noticing the possibilities of it growing up in the Ohio River Valley. And, of course, in the 19th, within a century, Pittsburgh has become the center of the great steel and coal uh, economy. Now, you also get into the relationship between Jefferson and Madison a little bit, how they come from decently different backgrounds and have decently different mental maps, yet develop this strong political partnership. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Yeah, well, Jefferson and Madison were uh, political allies. They weren't always entirely in sync. Uh, you have Jefferson's is, you know, when Madison is working on his study of the republic's ancient and modern in preparation for the constitutional convention that he and and Hamilton, his ally in this cause, had sort of uh, concocted and called for Philadelphia in May 1787. Uh, he's, uh, he's thinking about one set of things, and he is sending notes to Jefferson, who is the U.S. envoy in France, uh, the young republic does not use the word ambassador. It thinks that's too highfalutin. Um, and uh, telling him to send him more books about the Venetian Republic and the Dutch Republic and examples of other republics that had existed um, in different places uh, in European knowledge. So, uh, you know, they they become political allies uh, in the first uh, Congress, um, they form what becomes known really then as the Republican Party, in which uh, many of today's Democrats uh, call, or historic Democrats say was the uh, genesis of, uh, of the modern Democratic Party. I think that really only starts in the period of Andrew Jackson. But uh, it becomes America's dominant political party for the first quarter of the 19th century. So, um, you know, they, they become political allies as this and that. Uh, Madison's great collaborator on the project of setting up a constitutional convention and then writing a set of essays, which we now call the Federalist, which were initially designed to persuade the New York legislature, the New York Constitutional Convention to ratify the Constitution. Uh, New York was key just because of its position geographically between the New England colonies, which were solidly in favor of the Constitution, and Pennsylvania and Virginia, which were the largest population of richest colonies. Uh, and New York was the bridge between them, if you will. So Jefferson and Hamilton are partners on that. They take a different view uh, when they uh, in, when the new government comes into operation. 
Hamilton wants to set up a system of national debt, consolidating the debts that the states owned, um, paying them off at full things at full things at, at full value, and uh, and 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 uh, setting up a national bank to provide a currency and a money supply for the country. And what's fascinating about Hamilton and I set forward in this book, Mental Maps of the Founders, he had concocted this whole, uh, just about this whole scheme uh, when he was serving as an aide in the camp of George Washington, um, when he had a lot of military work to do and attempts to get money from the Continental Congress. He's writing a thousands of words long letter to Robert Morris, the great financier of the revolution, setting out the policies that he would put into effect as America's youngest, first and youngest secretary of the treasury under George Washington. Madison and Jefferson opposed these policies. They thought it was too much centralization. They feared that the United States would become a kind of commercial republic like Britain with a uh, a Congress that would be a government that would be corrupted by money being inserted, dominated by rich people and so forth. Um, This arises in many ways out of their geographical orientations. Remember that Hamilton came from the West Indies, from St. Croix, from a a slave economy. Ninety percent of the population were slaves there. He was in a very dismal situation. His father deserted the family. His mother died of a disease while he was sick in bed next to her. His uh, his uncle, who was his guardian, committed suicide. Uh, and Hamilton manages to, uh, to produce a piece of writing and to run this merchant firm when the merchant's away sick in a way that prompts the local people in St. Croix to say, okay, we're going to send him on a voyage to New York and put him up to go university. And Alexander Hamilton left the West Indies, never went back, never talked about it, never expressed a desire to go back to the slave society. He was one of the founders that was always against slavery. Uh, He had a mental map of the world, which consisted basically of trade routes of situations that provided people with commodities that and enabled them to earn the money necessary to buy things and linked by trade routes all over the world. And he wanted to set up a United States that could participate fully in this trade units. And he had a view that we could become a very important republic. And, uh, and he basically shared the view, which Franklin had enunciated in the 1750s, in which Jefferson uh, talks about in the 1780s, that the United States is going to have more people than uh, than England uh, within a century, which came to be true. Um, and Madison's view, like Jefferson's, is we want a republic of yeoman farmers. We want them to be free of obligations to join the uh, state church. We want to get rid of establishment of religion. We want to um, uh, get free of standing armies. We'll have a militia of qualified men that can be called to service in time of emergency, but we don't want a standing army or indeed much of a navy. Um, We want to disperse people over the West and in um, 
Madison's case in particular, the Southwest, he was very concerned uh, at the time of the Constitutional Convention and in George Washington's administration, as well as uh, when he was Secretary of State under Jefferson and President in his own right, about the navigation on the Mississippi and the possession of New Orleans. Uh, Madison saw our move to the Southwest as being very important, and uh, despite some of his qualms, he hired this sort of um, fiery general of the Tennessee State Militia uh, to fight uh, various battles against the Indians and the British in the War of 1812, uh, which resulted in uh, Andrew Jackson um, becoming a major national figure and ultimately president. For listeners out there that are now just dying to get your book off the shelves, first, is there anything else they should know? But also, where will they be able to buy Mental Maps of the Founders, How Geographic Imagination Guided America's Revolutionary Leaders? Mental Maps of the Founders is being published by Encounter Books and can be ordered through their website, EncounterBooks.com. Uh, it can be bought on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It can be bought at your funky little bookstore or any sweet bookstore that you, to whom you like to give business. And if they're not ordering it, uh, tell them that it's got kind of a catchy cover and they may want to order several copies because people might want to buy it. So it's available through general commercial uh, book selling enterprises. Mr. Barone, thank you so much for for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you. Well, it was a pleasure to be with you in Michigan. Thanks very much for having me for this interview. Thank you. My name is Mattingly Watson, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, where I was just joined by Michael Barone.